Hey, man. Hello. How you how doing? Are you? Fine. Hey. How how are you? All good here. And uh, like, geez, what what uh, what time is it over there? What is it? Six a.m. Oh well, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, you just how how long have you been up? About half an hour or so. My I got little kids, so I'm kind of used to my daughter's six, my son's four and a half. So usually my daughter is up by like five thirty every morning. So I'm yeah. kind of used to this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Well, just like damn. Uh, just uh. Well, uh, this is the uh, continuing adventures of Crizzle uh, and Camilo. Uh, Camilo <laughs> isn't here. Uh, oh, okay. Taking the week off, he's doing other things. Hopefully, he'll be back next next week with a guest. But um, this week, uh, I got a, I got a, an old colleague on the line. Um, he's out there in Australia doing. A shitload of podcasts, and uh, you know he'll tell you all about it. Uh, he he's a film journalist, writer, and just he knows a lot of interesting people. Uh, Blake Howard, welcome to whatever the hell this is. <laughs> that's a nice intro, Craig. That's really good. Thanks, I, man. Um, I, try, I try to keep it brief, so <laughs> yeah. Look, you know, very nice. Uh, what the hell am I doing? Well, I'm trying to keep a handle on a lot of projects this year. That's what I'm doing at the moment. Um, so yeah, just if anyone hasn't interacted with uh, any of the podcasts that I've done so far, just go to oneheatminute.com. Started out with like a guy obsessively podcasting about heat with people a minute at a time to scrutinize his favorite film. And it's turned into like an entire kind of network where we've covered mm. a bunch of films had a bunch of different hosts uh it's continued on into modern man with my current show miami nice with katie walsh uh we've got extensive series on increment vice from travis woods josie and the podcats with my best bud maria lewis uh zodiac chronicle we've got pod thomas anderson coming up this year with ethan warren um I'm going to be doing Midnight Run Through later this year with Jen Johans. We've got lots going on, man. It's like a crazy time. And right now I'm just polishing the finishing touches on uh, a series called Podcaster and Commander about Peter Weir's Russell Crowe's film Master and Commander from 2003. Yeah, well, yeah, you just gave us a lot of things that you're that you have done and what you will be doing. Uh, yeah, I thought I was afraid I was gonna be a little late to this because I was I just got through watching the air trailer. <laughs> have you seen Have you seen that? I I just checked it out this morning. My friend Isaac took a still of Ben Affleck in yeah. that stupid tracksuit with the glasses. That's uh, when he's playing Phil Tippett and said, "Change it to the Massachusetts flag." Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's uh, it looks pretty funny. Yeah. Not nothing says. Uh, we're you know we're gonna we're making an eighties movie like everybody has shitty haircuts. <laughs> yeah, really shitty hair. I mean, I think Jason Bateman, to be fair, just like replicated his own shitty haircut from Team Wolf Two. Yeah, and like he just so, went back to the well. Oh yeah, just yeah. So and <laughs> and yeah, tell you, I don't know how to feel about that because it's like, of course, 
you know, it's about how they, uh, uh, you know, made the Air Jordan shoe, and they're making all like, you know, oh, uh, if it wasn't for those white guys, uh, you know, we wouldn't have uh the the greatest basketball shoe in all the universe and shit like that. So. <laughs> yeah, I think. I think those guys are going to try and avoid that, but it's impossible not for it to feel like that when the first like six faces in the trailer are all a bunch of established white actors and performers. Mm-hmm. I, there's other stories, but yeah, it'd be interesting. Be interesting. I'm more keen to see their movie. They're, they're remaking that movie about the people who did that like monopoly. Uh, what was it like the McDonald's monopoly heist? Oh, where really? people was yeah, you know how like people there was like the big. They were stealing money and stealing prizes and stuff like that. It does that huge article about it. Those two guys bought the rights to that. And I was really keen to see them make that movie because that was like an international massive story about people like, you know, dodging up all of the results so that they could win all these huge prizes from McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I believe like that was HBO do that uh, docuseries uh, documentary uh, McMillions about that. Oh, did they? I didn't know they did yeah. that. Sorry, I'm only familiar with the article. Well, there you go. Yeah, just uh, yeah. So think that's out there. So well, that, that's a, that's just no that's another thing to look forward to. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, they did a. Well, yeah, it's just uh, the documentary they did a couple of years ago came out during the pandemic. The story of an ex cop turned security guard who rigs the McDonald's Monopoly game promotion yes. for a decade. Stealing millions of dollars in a vast network of co-conspirators across the U.S. So yeah, there it goes. There you go. Yeah, uh, I got I got like a I got a story about that McDonald's monopoly thing because that happened right when um, my uh, my house burned down. Oh and, shit! Yeah, that, I think like it was 1989, and I was like I kept uh, praying. Uh, you know, if I could get, you know, the, the, the there was a mo- the monopoly whole f- the thing was going down, and I was praying like I could get like all the the, the tiles correct on the monopoly, the game thing that they had, so I could get money and and get another house. But you know, this whole thing so that took a tragic turn. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> oh, yes, it did. <laughs> Oh, obviously, you have not listened to most of this podcast because that's usually how it goes. But uh, we'll try and veer it off to the <laughs> highs and the lows. But um, did you hear Burt Bacharach died? I did just this yeah. morning. Yeah. Oh my God. Mm. It's sad. But, yeah. you know, I always think like people like Burt Bacharach as well, like they have such a, you know, in Australia, we say it's a good innings, mm-hmm. basically meaning like, They've had a great run. They've had a lived an amazing life. It's it's only like you see the enormity of someone's life. Like usually when they pass, it's feel like people can actually pause and go, "Hey, this motherfucker lived." Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty sad. Mm. Pretty sad. Some really beautiful pieces already I've seen so far. So, um, yeah, um, but yeah, I I, I, had, I had the 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 privilege to to, to interview him once. Like back in, really? Yeah. Where was that? 2015 uh like i just posted it on my instagram because just like it's like another famous person i talked to years ago 
passed away and you know I managed to you know talk to him about so many things. I forget if I talked to him about um because you know that's you know talking about film and all that. One of my favorite film soundtracks from him, which was um when he did the night shift soundtrack. Yes. I mean, a lot of people go to like, you know, Casino Royale or just, uh, you know, or some stupid pussycat or everything. But yeah, just, yeah, I remember him doing the music. It was like after, like, he worked on Arthur and uh, he did uh, the um, the soundtrack to uh, the to that Ron Howard movie about, uh, <laughs> you know, the him and, um, Henry Winkler and Michael Keaton ran an escort service out of work, which apparently is based on a true story <laughs> that actually <laughs> happened <laughs> in New York in the seventies. And Brian Grazer loved the story, and he made they made it into a movie. And so, and of course, that was where this on that in that movie, that's where uh, that's what Friends of Four originally came from because it's originally done by Rod Stewart. Yeah. And then year, years later, of course, you know, Warwick and Glass Night and Steve Wonder Elton John did that that cover. So do you have a favorite uh right back rack film soundtrack? I don't know, man. I gotta go back and look. Um let me have a look. Because I would say like I would say night shift like you was up there because that was on a, um, that was on a, like an immense rotation in my house growing up. So like oh, that really? was, yeah. Like my, my dad and my older brother love that freaking movie. So like, and we were like a Michael Keaton household because of Batman. So it was something as a small kid, I was like really into, mm-hmm. um, uh, the other one I'd say like I've heard the most, probably not my favorite because it's so incongruous to the movie, but like it, I can't escape it is like Butch and Cassidy and Sundance. Yeah, oh. Like I've listened to that goddamn song so many times because I've seen that movie so many goddamn times. That's probably mm-hmm. really a hard one. Uh, I don't know, man. I'm trying to think. God, Casino Royale. He's got mm-hmm. so many here. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's probably- Arthur, he did. He did Arthur too. That's probably a low point. <laughs> Arthur too. Um, I think the last one he did was uh, "Isn't She Great," which is about uh, uh, you know that Bette Midler, Jacqueline Suzanne biopic. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, remember- no, I would say not. I, I would say Night Shift. Night Shift. Yeah. Night Shift is the best. I mean, I I do like Arthur. That's great. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Lost Horizon. Maybe. I've seen that movie a lot when I was a kid, too. That was a a VHS at my nan's house that I reckon I saw a few times. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say I'd say you're spot on. I don't know if you remember like uh, uh, like 20, back in like the late 90s, there was that Burke Backrack Backrack Resurgence because Austin uh, Powers. Austin Austin Powers and My Best Friend's Wedding. (laughs) Yeah. Like they they had uh, songs uh, from Burt Bacharach, so it was just like anytime uh, two movies uh, feature the same thing, it becomes 
just it becomes a trend and something worth talking about. So yeah, so I distinctly remember like people were like, oh yeah, Burt Backrack back. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker didn't really leave, but uh, <laughs> just y'all just just young y'all young young people discovering now and just seeing Mike Myers talk about him. I guess that makes makes it popular. So, but Mike 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 Myers and Jay Roach and those guys were like. They took it to the the next level though, because they're like, not only are we saying that this is a quintessentially seventies like piss take movie by having Burke Rack songs, but like mm-hmm. actually, but doing the like break the fourth wall and like here's Burke Backrack, <laughs> like, yeah. And then yeah. there was just became an ongoing joke of like, is Burke Backrack going to show up again? And like in the second one, he's playing at a you know at a cafe in London and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So you know, that was, that was fun. That's that was a good gateway drug. If you'd never seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, or never seen Arthur and had any like connection, it's nice to yeah. shout out a legend. Yeah, I, I have a I had a friend of mine. Um, uh, he he reviewed uh, the album that he did with with Ron Isley, and it was like a real. The real snarky ass piece because it was just like <laughs> this young guy. It, it was like this, this young dude. I know him. He's like he, he's all he's all done a lot of like crazy punk music and you know kind of like a you know retro music. And he just wrote this 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 smart ass review about how you know uh, Bert Bacharach and Ron Isley coming together to do something for your parents or something basically. <laughs> But uh, but I like the album. I don't know, maybe just you know, just like the two editors. I was but... I was waiting for the story then to be like, and then Burt Backrack wrote him a letter and said, "Go fuck yourself." <laughs> like the, nah, the secret story of Burt Backrack, like reaching out and being like, "Shut up, you snarky little shit!" Like I, I earn way more money than you'll ever earn, or whatever. I think he already knows that, so he didn't have to. Like I don't think he ever read it, but um. Well, I mean, let's get into the story. Let's get into you and everything. And I guess, listen, uh, I'm kind of surprised that you took the uh, invitation to appear on the show. Why? Uh, well, uh, well, I mean, the last time we spoke was uh, during the pandemic, like 2020, because I was on, a guest on your show. All the president's uh, minutes. Yeah, I was a guest on there a couple of times, and uh, we had a great but, time talking. I've been trying to get you on other shows since then, but we just haven't been able to line it up. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying because, like, it was like that was like 2020, and that was uh, several years ago, and I was just like, uh, yeah, I was, I was wondering why I haven't appeared on <sighs> any shows. Just like, do, like, do I? <laughs> Do I have to move to Boston to get to do? Because, <laughs> since that's where well, you seem to get a lot of other guests that we both I, know. And so, I I do love me some Boston. Um, I do love me some Arizona, Jen Joans. I do love me some, uh, not really LA. Um, but the the people around. No, not not at all. It's just honestly, the last couple of years when you're booking. So if you talk about what I do. When you're booking uh, a minute show versus like some of our limited series, mm-hmm. I have a very like, I'll have like a guest list that's there. And I discovered your stuff on Twitter before you were banned from Twitter, which I still don't fucking understand, by the way. Um, I discovered your stuff on Twitter. And then when we had that first conversation and then I started seeing you around at different places, obviously Crooked Marquee is where I see you the most. Um, 
because you're writing about flicks over there with our guy, Jason Bailey. And you were like a gem in that, all the present men series. Cause I was like, yes, um, Craig <laughs> takes no suffers, no fools and takes no shit. And it was like a nice voice to have you on the show. But just since then, I've honestly just been all over the place. Zodiac Chronicle was like me reaching out to people that were exclusively in that Miami nice. We've been trying to get people who are obsessed with that movie. And I don't know about your Instagram, but I certainly haven't seen you, um, um, as obsessed with uh, Michael, a contemporary man like that. But, you know, there's always opportunities for us to talk together. That's why I didn't say no to this invitation. I love your stuff. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah, it. I was yeah, cause I was wondering because the last time we spoke, uh, uh, you know, as always, you know, I'm, I'm always going through some shit. And I, I spent most of the podcast talking about that, which I don't think was a a good idea and uh no but, you're wrong because when uh, you're making a show where you take a 60 second increment of a film all that that is is a portal to talk about my guest and how they view life and what's going on with them and it ends up being a conversation and it enriches it and like part of it is the whole like well how does this person tick how does their brain work when it comes to analysis what kind of socio-political influence how do we anchor them to the world like and sometimes when people are going through shit that's the best episodes that i have because it's the realest shit it's there's no artifice and there's no posturing and there's no like there's no facade there's no mask there's nothing it's just that you're a raw nerve and yeah. they were good shows i wasn't i wasn't burnt if in case you need to know that you know if this is the mark maron segment of this show where you're like i'm sorry i fucked up like yeah, that's yeah. not what that that, that you, you didn't there's no such there's no such thing that's just no no it's yeah, just that yeah when when i was currently working or like when i'm booking like multiple shows and sometimes like the whole of this new podcaster and commander show has basically been in the can for a year and I've had so much on family shit, work shit, like other projects waiting for bloody Russell Crowe, for example, like a whole project oh. is just sitting there in stasis waiting for me to do something with it. So yeah, it's, it's not, trust me, we've all, we're all having a pandemic time. It's not you. Which is why I had no hesitation to come and talk to you now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I have to say because there there have been times where it's just like I've uh, yeah I've oh Jesus I've done shows most of the time it's radio shows and I'll say something and then <laughs> the next day I'll get like a long ass uh what are we dm from from the host of the show like i'll appreciate that five minutes where you were funnier than any, everybody on the damn show and i'm just I, i'm just like people like some people have their shows and it, it they really get um offended when you go down there and apparently be entertaining <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a weird it's a weird it's, 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 and like I I don't do well I don't do podcasts at all because a lot of people don't ask me to appear on podcasts sometimes you know I, once in a while it does happen but there there have been times when I just like 
I'm I'm on the show and I'm you know just I'm I'm on one of my uh very many off the rails type of tangents I go on just to try and find some shit to say and just there's always that point you know where the the host especially especially if it's on a radio like uh, a public radio. radio a public radio forum and they will get you know get a little worried or leery and, and stuff like that and it's just like I thought that was, that was what I was here to do but apparently not and just you know it's just yeah you know. radio like if you're if you're still on some form of terrestrial radio you have a whole bunch of different considerations you're not really thinking about entertainment you're thinking about format like and you can't have wild conversations like you do on podcasts on radio they just don't want you to have them and they feel like because you're on terrestrial radio you're bound by different rules of what you can and can't say and all that sort of shit but no i i cherish the guests such as yourself where like shit gets real Mm -hmm. and the whole point of that show all the president's minutes and the reason that I did it and the reason I did whatever it was, 134 episodes in one year, unpacking that movie or 11 months, whatever it turned out to be. Um, the reason I did that show is because everyone was going through this US election cycle and having, I don't know, a collective meltdown both locally and internationally because of the way that that, you know, the American political system or political influence had filtered or like reflected in their own countries or in America where, you know, we were focusing on and different journalists and that sort of stuff. And the best parts of that show were like, you know, obviously reflections of the movie and talking about how great it is and all that sort of stuff. But like when it accesses the reality of what we're going through and you can be candid, like that's the, that's the great shit. When people just go off the rails, that personally, that's where I really like it. I mean, not off yeah. the rails, to, but you'd never really went off the rails, to be honest. But that, the, you know, you've got to have that. Yeah. I want that. I just, I don't want the, don't agree with me the whole time. Don't make the conversation all about, oh, yeah, you know what you're talking about. That's not interesting for me as the host of these shows. I, I prefer to like, I want a voice that I can engage with and have fun with and have a new perspective. And even if you were going through it, fuck, you weren't the only one, man. Everyone was going through it. <laughs> like everyone yeah. who I spoke to on that show had, was going through some shit. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah, you ever done public radio? Just you ever, because I, I found <laughs> that public radio is, 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 is more insane than terrestrial, like oh, yeah. mainstream grocery. Because first of all, everybody who has a public radio show I found, you know, they fit, you know, because when you, when public radio show is on the air, the people who are doing that particular show is in charge of the whole station, and they believe they, yeah. and th- that's the show that's that 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 represents this, uh, the whole station. And I found that, like, yeah, you, know, you usually get it's always the same thing, like like people who do the show thinking they are, uh you know, spitting that that hot fire, that mad truth <laughs> in the mic and just like they're, like they're the ones going to come in and just you know, shake shit up and it's just like, this is, dude, this is this is, this is public radio at the least you're getting 
uh, you know, some prison inmates and uh, <laughs> some grandmothers. I'm just like, just just have fun with it. And like, they, but they, but lot, but they always, no matter what show I was on on the public radio show, they always took it very seriously, and they were just like, yeah. They get locked in stuff. Yeah, I worked on a community radio uh, station in Sydney for a little while, just doing like pop culture shit as you do. You know, you're popping up, you're trying to get a new audience. And it was like very, like very local of like a very specific area of Sydney where I was living at the time. But yeah, they took themselves pretty seriously in there. Like the, the whole station, you know, when people were on there, it was like, super serious super cool super chill there was no wildness um and then one day i walked in to their afternoon show because i was recording a segment that i had to record for the next day and i wasn't gonna be able to make it on the day so we recorded it early and i finally got to see someone wild like wild like going actually giving some energy to this thing but yeah it's funny like people once they get in those little things they just want to don't want to stir the pot my man they just want to it's you know we don't have the same influence of like the Howard Stern in Australia. Like we've got like some really shit, you know, disc jockeys that are media bait and whatnot, but there's no like Stern in Australia. There's a couple of really conservative bullshit people in our country, John Laws and Alan Jones and these other absolute, you know, hate mongers from who are conservative kind of, uh, I don't know what the equivalents are. Would it be like, Who's your like massive conservative like radio guy in well in well this... well it's always been Limbaugh. Just... Limbaugh, yeah, Rush yeah. Limbaugh. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. So it's like they are kind of like Limbaugh light, you know, yeah. Australian radio conservatives who are like the biggest disc jockeys, but we haven't had the inverse. Like we've had a couple of people who like want to be like controversial and stuff, but they're never as good or as incisive as Stern was, and then influenced obviously all of those other contemporary stuff. We don't really have that. Mm-hmm. And and Frankie, you mentioned uh, Limba, and, and it almost seems like with podcasting now, it you know because Limba for years was such a, uh, a a conservative radio icon, influencing so many other conservative radio hosts, and in a way, we kind of have that with Rogan, like you know, not, yeah. not so much not not so, not so much uh, conservative, so much as libertarian or whatever the hell. He, he represents yeah. and just like you have this whole thing where he's uh bringing in kind of the the audience that Limbaugh used to uh, have back in the day which is just like uh you know very uh almost concer- you know concer- yeah especially during the pandemic he, he uh Rogan kind of brought in all the people the anti-vaxxers the uh the the the, the the people who are like uh, protesting about putting shit in their body, they're not gonna put shit in their bodies, you know, because it's my, you know, the the whole uh, individualism type of uh, yeah aesthetic that I they mean, were look, having. I, I speaking as a person who has listened to many a Joe Rogan, after like the first seven three hour episodes <laughs> with fucking people. On their soapbox about not putting stuff on their bodies, that show became nigh unlistenable for a couple of years because you were just like, I don't know. I want to, you're a fucking comedian, man. Like, can we get Joey Diaz on the show? Can we get like Tom Segura? Can we get Ari Shafir or Burt Kreischer? Can we get some funny people again? 
you know, Bill Burr has been on the show. I mean, like, yeah. freaking, just get get me get me some funny shit. And yeah, like, uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know the, I don't know how how it's pivoted over to podcasts and stuff like that. But but yeah, I I, I truly think that that like some of the best, some of the best, um, like some of the best people who do that kind of like stern. Like let's go wild. Uh, they're in the podcast world because they have no, there's no guardrails. There's no like safety net. You just go, and sometimes it's crazy. Um, and then you know, whenever anyone gets big and there's a big investment in the show, they worry about what they say. Yeah, it's it's interesting to say how they uh now Rogan just would start you know like give give Elon Musk a forum. Like why the hell would you want to devote three hours to give a forum to Elon Musk? Because that's because that's the thing that often happens when it's like when a podcast gets really big. I found in just listening uh, to the, you know, if if I have a favorite podcast, I start realizing that like the host are uh, maybe getting too full of themselves, and they yeah. they don't realize that you have to think like you know they finally got uh, the ear of the 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 populace or whatever, and so they start going on these. Uh, you know these these rants where they feel that they are being, you know, they're they're, they're telling, or you know, they just they're getting too full of themselves. They just they think they you know they're not they're not self aware. Let's say that just there there's, there's there's not a lot of self awareness. Like they'll they, they just feel they feel that that you know their show is 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 spitting that real much like how people in public radio do. So yeah, yeah. I also think this is. That the Elon Musk is like the before time, you know, like on Joe Rogan, like when he was on, when Elon Musk was on the show, I was like, oh, a long interview with Elon Musk. Usually you only see him appear as a talking head in a Werner Herzog documentary. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, our kingdom for fucking only seeing Elon Musk on a podcast <laughs> once mm-hmm. every five years. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, they it's welcome all... Trump back to Twitter. When are they going to welcome you back to fucking Twitter? Ah, ah fuck them. They can have them. Uh, just <laughs> you know, I, I was I was starting to, to to fall out of Twitter anyway. Like they did me a favor when they suspended my account, and this is the, <laughs> this is the truth because I posted a clip, a twenty year old clip from a, a an Amory music video. Cause that, like, I don't know if you remember. I don't know if you ever heard of like the 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 artist Amory. She was a no. R and B singer in the yeah. You know, she did the theme song from Hitch, and uh, <laughs> and like I twenty years ago, she had this album and this single that was "Why Don't We Fall in Love." That was very popular, and I just had been I posted thing, I posted like a clip because you know you only um, can only play two minutes. 20 second clips on there and I just a clip of that and apparently Sony Music uh didn't like that and put me in a uh kind of put me in a lawsuit with various people who did the exact same thing and so it's like the only way you know we could you know I guess you know not be not be you know take go to court or whatever is just like they Twitter just suspended. Wait, wait, wait. You shared a clip that was already on YouTube? Yeah. How are you in a lawsuit if you share a clip that's on YouTube? Wouldn't that like put everyone who shares a movie trailer in a fucking lawsuit? 
Well, well, you see, it's I, I, I personally uh, took the video, took the clip from the video and posted it. Uh, I didn't, I didn't retweet it. I didn't get uh, like a retweet. I, I personally did it. Right, right. And 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 say like a lot of other people did the exact same thing. And it's funny, like right. looking through that, like they sent me the email. I'll never forget it. It was like the night uh before 9-11. The the, the like the 20th, the night before the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh yeah, so they you know, they they emailed me uh, the list of everybody Sony Music was putting in this suit uh, to you know, th- you know, the, for them to you know have, take down their pages or get involved. So just like, uh, yeah, Sony Music does not like it when you just go and just take something from theirs and put it on. Uh, a website for free all willy nilly. I mean, I had to pull down uh like the last podcast I try to do. I, I take down a, an episode because I played a Drake song. Yeah, yeah, you know they're not big. You know, yeah, record labels are really you know cracking down. Like they somehow find you, and if you did, you played something. Uh. You know, they'll tell you, you know, you got to take that out. So was, I mean, look, I live in the world of fair use, you know, I mean, we scrutinize movies and clips and play clips and stuff like that. And I figure most of the time that's how we've been able to navigate through because we're dedicating whole hours of conversation to one minute of clip and usually talking directly about that clip or talking about a clip from a movie and play the clip. And then because people are directly criticizing and then unpacking and talking about it. So I think I've been pretty safe, but yeah, like the the only time that I've ever had it is like I edited something for my friend Jen and um, I concluded it with like, it was all about Top Gun Maverick and I played a little snippet of the Lady Gaga song and her episode got bloody pulled, got flagged. Yeah, And so I went back and I re-edited it and I cut her out and then I was fine. And I was just like, but, you know, there are these certain artists where it's like, no, can't play that. And you're like, okay, you know, I've been doing this for a little while, but yeah, it's crazy. Somebody not the artist, just the label, just they just the like, label, yeah. Uh, yo, yeah. Well, sorry, the label based on the artist, like they've got like a triangulation of certain artists, and like, nope, can't yeah. play that. It's like, all right, it's like ten seconds, but we can fix it. It's fine. I don't know. Just yeah, just down. It's you know, it's always weird because just like uh, especially nobody's really making money on Twitter. Well, some people, well, most, well, not like general, like the whole everybody's on Twitter, just like not you know, unless you're trying to make you know, money doing something on there, but it's just like, for most part, a lot of people are just dicking around. And that's what <laughs> I was doing main, mostly. That's why I like lots of, I was just dicking around. And, and so, but you know, when you still do, you still dick around with other people's property, you know, they, uh, they come after you. But just, but you know, as, as you just mentioned, you, you did, uh, you did something like that and they went after, I mean, has, has that been a thing like you, cause like I said, you've done, a, you have a lot of podcasts going mm. and just you, have people hit you up and just said, Hey, Hey man, Oh, we don't like this shit. You got to take it down or just. No, not really. Not really. Like we've been really lucky because like I said, 
the whole fair use thing is like for review and criticism, as long as you're not spoiling stuff mm -hmm. um, or like using anything kind of bad, I guess, but like every bit of music, you know, like the, the most music laden series that I've, that I've done in my time producing stuff. Um, well, the first one was the audio documentary of my friend, Maria Lewis, um, mm -hmm. Josie and the podcasts. Yeah. And there's so much writing and research and her amazing scripts on that show that went into every time that we referenced an artist, you just play like a three or four second, like grab of a song. Like one of my favorite edits I know this is like the super nerdy thing to say, but one of my favorite edits in that show is like a great thing where she introduces, um, she introduces boy bands and we were talking about baby face and we're talking about the band, the fake band in Josie and the Pussycats called du Jour, the like white boy band. Yeah. Um, um, also the mixed boy band that's in there because it's like one black guy in the boy band, but it's like that boy band, um, how it was influenced by baby face and how, um, uh, Babyface produced like Blackstreet, and so we got to play Blackstreet No Diggity. It's like my favorite edit in the whole show. But no, I haven't. We haven't had any trouble, um, doing anything like that because usually when I'm using music, like when I did on the our Zodiac show, I had a friend of mine, um, a collaborator, like build me a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Like he built me twelve tracks, just instrumentals that he made, inspired by the show, listening to it, um, and we've kind of used that as like the sound bed. And, mm -hmm. and so a lot of the stuff that I'm using, like when I'm using different cuts of music and stuff like that, I'm always, it's always about clips or it's always about music. Or it's all about stuff that we're talking about directly in the show. So like if I'm playing a trailer, I play a trailer, you know, I play a trailer for a movie. If I'm talking about a clip from Miami vice and I play, you know, we're talking around that clip. I play the clip. It's interweaved. It's usually not more than like a minute of the main clip or a part of the scene or a segment. And then we've got like five or 10 minutes of conversation that is around that scene anyway. So I've always found that like, you know, the, the ethos of like fair use is for review and criticism, you're unpacking it, you're looking at it, you're taking a clip, you're examining it. And I feel like we're always doing our, we're doing the work. Like we're showing, like we're not just fucking around and playing clips um, or playing like an audio version of this movie. We're actually talking about it extensively thinking about it being you know having some thoughtful criticism and some silliness as well um but no i haven't had any trouble which is great yeah now, yeah i was right like you, you were talking about all this stuff and i think i'm i'm, I'm trying to think like when the hell did babyface work with black street <laughs> sorry sorry it might have been in the theme of like babyface produced the music on josie and the pussycats Mm -hmm. Um, and so Good. we were just talking about the context of boy bands and R and B boy bands and those sort of relationships and those different times and towns. And then we went into, there was an episode that we did. It was called, like, it was a bonus episode and we have, we're talking about Blackstreet. We're talking about, uh, Backstreet Boys. We're talking about a whole bunch of like boy bands sort of thing at the same time. Although Blackstreet's not really a boy band, but, but we kind of selected music to talk along the documentary track. So that's yeah. where. We kind of came into okay well yeah you know, just uh well yeah you know, just once again just well i guess I, I we've been talking now for like what 30 40 minutes and just just we you know haven't really jumped into the whole origin stories let's just say yeah of how you just now has this podcasting empire <laughs> and just i just want to get into 
that and how did it all start? Uh, the real, real beginnings of it was I finished university. I was doing a degree in film, media, and cultural studies. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing a lot of like, I did this massive research thesis pretty much on like authorship and masculinity. I did it on Michael Mann. I'd come out of that and I didn't want to, I didn't really want to write seriously in academia. Again, there was an option that I could have gone on to doing some like postgraduate shit, but I wasn't really interested at the time. Um, but I, I had a friend who had worked in Sydney radio. He was a guy named Dale Sinden. who was a lot older than me. He became a bit of a mentor for me and he was working in radio and he used to have a movie show on Sydney radio here. And when I came down, we'd always like shoot the breeze a couple of times we'd work together and we'd shoot the breeze with each other and talk. And, and, and I said, I'd really like to do a podcast. Like, wouldn't it be cool for us to do a podcast? And so I, we, this is like in the early, early days, this is kind of like, I don't know would have been 2009, 10, around that area. And what happened was I started doing a couple of podcasts with him this like ages ago. We just catch up and shoot the shit and record on pretty crappy stuff. And then we, he said, we should go in and do like a movie show and start a podcast for this radio, um, for this radio station, AM radio station called 2UE in Sydney. And so we basically redid that show and he kind of educated me on radio. Like a, a podcast is a different animal, right? You, you and I just been sitting here shooting the shit. The conversation flows one way, the conversation flows the other way, but he was like a ninja at like a 50 minute show, you know, four reviews, segments, calls. If sometimes if we had calls, interviews, like coming in and out of breaks, how to develop a radio review. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I learned so much from him, um, and we tried to get the show on air a couple of times and they didn't buy it. And that was quite frustrating because we were producing really great stuff and he was excellent. And, um, and then after a little while, I, I just kind of got Jack of like the investment, um, for us, cause we were having to still like do lots of travel to this radio station, do this stuff and we weren't getting paid for it and all that sort of stuff. So I ended up killing that. And then I moved into podcasting with my, like my best mate, Maria. We did this little show called pod save our screen. It jumped. It went pretty well at the time. And then I just floundered for fucking years, to be honest. Um, just kind of jumping between writing and reviewing and occasionally doing interviews and whatnot. Um, and you know, staying amount, staying amongst the industry, staying in contact with people, building networks, you know, doing, doing what I had to do. Um, and then it got to, really the year that my daughter was born, which is 2016, I was thinking about like whether I even wanted to do this anymore. Right. Cause I had a full-time job, like a day job. And I was looking after my family and had a daughter and I'm like, do I need to, I'm not going to go to movies and not spend time with her and all that shit. So I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do this, but I still had that creative outlet thing. You know, I think that one of the things that keeps a lot of people sane or at least less insane is, you know, you have a creative outlet that really gives you juice, you know, that makes you feel like sometimes if you have to do a sucky job, I don't know if people are out there, like you got a shitty data entry job or you're working in, you know, hospitality or you're working in sales in some store, sometimes just going home and like, if you paint or if you write, or if you, I don't know, like do puzzles or read like voraciously, whatever it is, whatever your creative outlet is, it's that, And so for me, I had this kind of hole where I was like, 
I was completely okay to like let most of it go, but I just felt like if I didn't do anything, I wouldn't feel fulfilled. Like if I wasn't trying to be creative or engage with art. And so I pitched it to some friends, a whole bunch of ideas, Craig, and most of them were shit. <laughs> most of them were the worst fucking ideas for shows or the worst ideas for everything. And as they the often real, are, as they all, I mean, and that's what you do. You throw the shit at your friends and they go, no, that sucks. No, no, no. Anyway, two of my really good friends, um, Garth Franklin and Stu Coot, um, we were having a few drinks. We we're at the Sydney Film Festival. I was talking to them about doing stuff. I pitched them like three or four ideas that were all shit. And then my friend Stu, I say he gave me like a kind of, uh, I say it's like a Goodwill Hunting Robin Williams speech. You know, like he kind of, that was the mood of it. Um, where he was like, what the fuck, what do you want to do? No, what do you want to do? Just kept asking, no, what do you want to do? Stop telling me what you think other people would like. What do you want to do? And then he, he did something. He g- gave me a gift and a curse, which was, I said to him, exactly. I just want to fucking talk about heat every day. And he said, I'd listen to that. <laughs> and so then that's where it was born. One heat minute was born in that conversation. It was... It had gestated a couple of days after that. I decided to do a proof of concept. I recorded like 14 or 15 episodes of the show in one day, invited a few film critic friends over to my house, fed them, um, did the show as a proof of concept, and it kind of blew up. I had no intention that it was going to go beyond like those 14, 15 episodes in that first day. If it, if it sucked, I was going to throw it in the bin, but it had something, um, and it sounds crappy in the beginning and it sounds a bit rough and all that sort of stuff. But as the show grows, I grow. And as the show grew and the reputation of the show, and I guess the ethos of the show and the way that we were going to approach it um, grew, such did its reputation, such did like bigger guests started coming along and filmmakers starting embracing it and critics started embracing it. And, you know, we really built a community and it was a couple of years, you know, it was, that started in 2017. And then by, july so my first my son's first birthday july 6 um i dropped an episode that concluded that show it was actually longer than um the show had a few bonus episodes and stuff in there but it was the final episode which featured michael mann himself coming on to one eight minute and so then how the hell was that just like holy shit we got michael mann for this what is it it the way i can describe it I've never been shitting myself more than there was a moment where I was speaking to one of his assistants on the phone because I was recording through my setup and I'm talking to her and she goes, okay, Michael, um, Michael's just going to be on the phone in a second. I'm just going to place you on hold. Okay. And I go, yeah, no worries. And she places me on hold and there was no hold music for like 11 minutes, Craig. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was like, oh fuck, please don't let this be a dream. Like don't let anything go wrong. Don't let it. And then he got on the phone and it was, utterly surreal mm. it was a crazy experience and actually doing it felt like insane and i didn't let anyone listen to it obviously until like it was the day that it dropped and then the day that it dropped that was like the most joyful day the most unbelievable day i mean we talk we've been slagging off twitter a little bit in social media but man fuck i felt some love on that day from just everyone it was like a collective fairy tale for like everyone who'd been on the show, it had like more than a hundred guests and it was incredible. So, um, and then after that, 
I didn't really want to keep doing one heat minutes. We've done a few more in the preceding years, you know, a couple of great bonus episodes. We got Tom Sizemore on, we got Guillermo del Toro on, we got Brian Koppelman on, you know, we've had a few like really phenomenal guests and we just did a little mini series on the heat Two book um, with a couple of really cool folk as well. Um, but what then that, what then I evolved into was like, okay, what do I want to keep doing? show wise, you know, and, and that's where I rolled straight into all the president's minutes. And then that kind of basically proved out that I don't want to do minute podcasts. Um, not anymore, not that it's not great, not that they're not, as it's not a phenomenal format, not that I don't love it. Um, but it just, it became like I needed to evolve. So then Mm. fortunately at the same time as I was doing presidents, I was working and producing the show increment vice with Travis Woods. Had a great lot of guests on there, had a whole new vibe, had a whole new sound, had a whole new experience for people. Um, And then Josie and the Podcats was happening. So, you know, that was a really dynamic audio documentary style, much more scripted, much more tight, much shorter. Uh, And then I was doing Miami Nice with my friend Katie Walsh, which I still do. And all those things started happening and then I was like, okay, well then the natural evolution for me is to find ways to merge the things that I love about those different projects. And that would just sort of evolve. So that's, that's kind of what I do. And I'm, you know, I only choose things that I'm obsessed with. Um, I don't ever do anything that like someone suggests, you know, there's plenty of people suggest certain things and I'm like, no, that's not the one. Um, It's always something that gets me. And yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. I just do my creative stuff that I want to do. And very fortunately we've got an amazing fan base and um, you know, people are still into it. Yeah. I'm about to piss off you and your fan base in a minute. Cause uh, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this. I'm not exactly the biggest heat fan. It's all right. And uh, it's just, I, you know, De Niro's just, just too much in that, that movie for me. Like, uh, <laughs> but uh that's all right. You're allowed not to like. I don't need everyone that I talk to to love heat. In fact, there are like a few people on the show that don't like it. Yeah, well, it, but but that's the thing. Like, because you, as you just said, like this guy really put you, know, you know, really broke it all down for you. What you want to do, and you say, I want to do something where I talk about heat all day, and just it just it just begs the question: What the hell is it? About that movie, I mean, it came out in like Christmas of '95. It, you know, it just, yeah. I mean, just I don't know if it was. I, I don't think it was ex- exactly uh, a thing, a movie that a lot of people thought was going to be discussed and dissected and and revered years later. But just like it, it has been this film where, especially. Uh, cinephiles, much like yourself, uh, just just pray to the altar of it, and just and just like just it's just I know you did a whole podcast, like you did a whole <laughs> we broke down the the movie minute by minute with different people, including <laughs> the director. But just it just could you give 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 me like what is it that just drives, uh you know, people to to just uh, stand for this film and just will walk to the end of the earth to say, I love Heat. This is who I, this is, this is the movie that that is my, that is me 
What the hell is it about Heat? Well, I've got to get backwards to get forwards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a working film critic at different parts of your life, having to do the grind of like going to see new movies all the time, mm-hmm. writing about them, or like when I was doing that first radio show, um, radio show podcast with Dale Sinden, who was teaching me, it was like, you go to the movies and you see sometimes weeks and weeks in a row, nothing but horseshit, like mm-hmm. awful, awful, like pointless. How am I going to eat? Do I even have an angle on this? Like, how am I going to be a coroner to this corpse of a movie? You know, I, I don't know the cause of death, but all I know is it's dead. And I, I'm not, not particularly interested in why it's dead. Um, and so w- for me, it started like, I love that movie, but I found myself, especially at that time, like over and again, if I had a bad night, if I saw like two movies and they were just shit, I would come home and put on three hours of heat mm-hmm. to like cleanse my palate. And I think what it is, is that heat is this gigantic, ambitious, very philosophically engaged movie about doing the things you love and the things you love killing you, couched in a very entertaining cat and mouse genre of movie, but also it's spectacularly shot. It has a cast that's fucking enviable. There's like 70 speaking roles and everyone is great. Um, It has a legitimately realistic portrayal of the, you know, socio-ethnic makeup of the Los Angeles police department. It has performances that are scoldingly hot. It has a little bit of mysticism and weird things like of, you know, people disappearing off into the night being kind of like mythical and wraith-like characters. And it's just fucking cool and entertaining and funny. And even in the bits that you might think are silly, you love it. Mm. And it kind of has absolutely everything. And it has a confidence and a clarity in every single part of it. And if you feel the, the intervening puppeteer hands of Michael Mann's entire focus, 20 something years of a story eating away at him. And then having a rough draft, which you don't get to do that often in a TV um, pilot, LA takedown, and then bringing it to the big screen and having these things. And that's where I think heat is it. What happens is, when you first start watching heat, you only think about the action or the cool lines or whatever. And the more that you watch it, you want to stare into the cornices and the crevices and the darker parts of the room where it's just these other side stories that paint a human drama of LA at a time with a bunch of people. And that's what I think it's all of those things. It's that whole synthesis of that and how effortless it is and how much that 166 pre-credits minutes fly by and how funny and how modular the tone is, like the the right way that you're kind of modulating the tone between like Pacino saying great ass or give me all you got and then like really intense like, um, you know, violent scenes, you know. I just think it has everything. It has absolutely everything that I want. And in a time where we're going back to the theater more in a repertory standpoint, it's one of the peerless cinematic experiences. If you go into a theater and you watch Heat on a big fucking screen, especially a 35 mil print of the original theatrical cut, 
Woo! There's nothing like it in the world. That's why I think people stand it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I can see that. I can see how you're, you're just, <laughs> but you gotta admit there are like it, there's some people who like just like it because it's just a bunch of uh, dudes uh, shooting each other and it's sure that's it's, okay. But yeah, it's, but it's also it's like it, you do get that whole set. It's it's like I I worry sometimes where just like they're that. They, they, you know, because I remember when James Walcott, I think he was one of the first people to really uh, champion the movie. He wrote a huge piece about Vanity Fair. And, you know, and I could get why he would like it and how you would like it. But there are those those dudes, those those bros who are just like, yeah, the De Niro and Pacino with machine guns just made my dick so hard. And just yeah. like the big the scene and then the shootout in the street, like I came three times, dude. It just like <laughs> bro, it's just like this this is a, such a bro movie, man. And just like it's like it's like roadhouse but longer and stuff like that. Yeah, well the the there's definitely that element. And what I find personally is when a lot of people and I actually find it in filmmakers, right? Because you know, contemporary filmmakers right now, he's you know, nearly 30 years old. And so you've had people who are our age above who have grown up with it and they're now making a movie and they're like, I was super influenced by heat. And I feel like that's so much more revealing, just like the podcast was saying you're so much more influenced by heat. And then the movie that you make being fucking den of thieves Mm -hmm. just tells me that you're one of those guys. (laughs) It just sounds like, I'm like, Oh, you you're less concerned about the tapestry of life Mm -hmm. or the, the existential crises of these things or being any kind of having any kind of sophistication with like the way that characters interact, the concerns that they have in their lives that are influencing their actions. You're just like, Oh, wouldn't it be cool if like both those dudes like went to a fucking Korean barbecue restaurant or whatever and had an argument and then like shot machine guns and whatever. Um, Yeah. So it's, I think it's a lot of people can reflect whatever they're going to reflect. But what I found with heat, is that the the real stands for it really garner an appreciation for the ability that you can look at this thing and you know the sum of its part it's way greater than the sum of its parts and like some people's memory might just be oh cool high scene at the beginning oh cool central high scene oh cool airport chase like if that's all you want to think about i mean with brutal honesty that's only about 17 minutes of 166. So like there's a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. in there. <laughs> I mean, and you know, and a six minute Pacino De Niro off. Yeah. Well, well that's, you know, as, as amazing, I admit as, as, as great that scene is a brilliant exercise and two, uh, uh, iconic actors, uh, doing their best work, just sitting, uh, in a in a restaurant and just talking and and whatever. I got I'm I gotta admit I'm I'm getting uh pretty goddamn tired because it was of the because if if there's anything Heat has brought to movies that is starting to become such a cliche, it is the scene where the protagonist and the antagonist 
have a sit down. But we can't quietly uh, uh, threatening <laughs> each other or whatever. Fuck, I've seen this like it's three, four movies now. What the? We we can't begrudge heat for people fucking hackishly ripping it off. <laughs> like that's yeah. The, I mean, like, that's that that but that's also a clue craig if you hear someone go like oh this you know it's usually the russo brothers or whatever and they're like oh you know this is our heat and you're like fuck off you can't say that just don't say it it's trap you can't say i remember even ron howard and the kazdans were like oh solo you know we're influenced by great heist films like heat it's like no don't no don't mention it don't because you're not going to do it. You're just going to hackishly do a crap job of it. And then everyone who you told that this movie is influenced by hate is going to take one star off this movie just for the fucking insult of you daring to say that it was an influence. Like I, I personally think that that, you know, we, we can't begrudge the hack. You can't begrudge hate the original text for the hackish ripoffs. You just have to go like, and, and, and the ones that I get mad at is when people are like, you know, what's great is hate. But you know what's even better? It's like Den of Thieves. And you're like, stop. Fucking wake up to yourselves, who, okay? Who, like, we can all, you, you we can all that, have fun. You brought up that movie twice. Who in the fuck is, is, is talking about Den of Thieves? I forgot that movie existed <laughs> until you just brought it up. Like... It, but, it, must be, it must be because you're not on the film Twitter, because I see lots of people talk about it. Jeez. So why would you want to do that? Why just this, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so glad <laughs> that Twitter kicked me out because I don't have to deal with that shit anymore. I'll have to, I was first of all, I was I was never a person you probably know this where just like I you know, just the realm, the whole idea of film Twitter, like people would come after me about stuff or just anything, and I didn't and you know, if they did come after me, I, I would not really um, you're not you're not the engaging with bullshit yeah. type, no. Yeah, so it's just like I guess I I uh was not as I I I, I you know I wasn't uh just just I just I just managed to walk away from all that unscathed. Mm. So it's just like I don't you know like I still got I still got friends on Twitter you know for you, people you and I both know who just will go on there and just duke it out with people and just like no nah. dude dude there's, there's 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 grass and blue skies outside <laughs> like just none of, none of this is real it's like this like social media is like the biggest fucking illusion ever it's like david copperfield running the internet it's, just, <laughs> it's not, not none of that's real not like you, just people talking into the void and it's they're not rep, exactly representing who they are, and just why you want to get with people who just see something and and uh, see a platform and just go on there and say whatever the hell they want. Uh, don't and don't take any accountability for most of it, and just yeah, I don't know. Maybe I I saw I saw the light really early, and thank and I always thank Twitter for for. For kicking me out, <laughs> so I can have some something resembling a life. But well, you at least missed. I think the biggest thing you got saved from is the den of thieves discourse. That's that's by far the thing you've been saved from so far. Yeah, it's just it's you know because sometimes I just still go on there just because that's you know it's funny because like I didn't even know like Burt Bacharach until I went on Facebook. And a, and a colleague of mine said something, and I'm just like, 
it's just like you know, you just going to see what the like what the you try. It's almost like you try to fit. It's like a puzzle now. Like why? Yes. Why is this? Why is this trending? Why is this trending? Yeah. Why is why is Kanye trending again? And it's like you never exactly know because it's always it just it, it like the, it gets bastardized after a point where it's just like the thing that's trending it doesn't even uh, represent the initial thing that made it trend. Like like Steely Dan trended earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, just like why the hell is Steve? And it took me like the end of the night to I realized like. Steve Albini said something about Steely Dan. Like I didn't. I, that, I thought people just felt like talking about Deacon Blues or shit. Like I didn't know. <laughs> but it's just like it's like you have always have to like go back and, and just see at figure out what was the exact point where something was brought up on Twitter and it just gets all weirded out and everything. But yo, I love that. I love that thought of just imagine. Instead of going on Twitter, going and being standing in a park and just yelling into, yeah, yelling your tweets into the void, into the sky, and hoping that someone engages with you. That's that's sometimes what I feel like the people I interact with sometimes on here um, can sound like. But no, it, it's it's just a funny old world, man. It's a funny old world. But you can't blame you can't blame heat for rip people who rip it off. You can't. That's the one thing I'm gonna send you down. But yeah, you don't have to love it. Yeah, it's it, well, yeah, uh, just yeah. I'm, I, you, you don't like, even have to like it. No, I mean, I, I, I respect it uh, for what it is. If I can say that, a, if I can bring that thing up, but it's just like in, in terms of all the other movies, uh, Michael Mann movies, I like, like, like mm. I'm a big fan of Manhunter. I'm big uh, fan of uh, like his follow up to Heat, The Insider, and just mm. but it's like, the like people, great. yeah, just even co- Collateral, which I, I kind of almost love Collateral like a, too. It's like a black comedy, and just in terms of what, with with the the relationship between Cruz and Five. I even like the uh, uh, early twentieth century Heat, which is of course Public Enemies, which yeah. uh, which is yeah, that's basically what it is. It's like Public Enemies is just twentieth uh, early the Roaring Twenties Heat or whatever. <laughs> and but it's just like it almost seems like the, like Heat is the masterwork. It's his is it's is. It's, it has become the the film that defines uh, who Michael Mann is as a filmmaker, and just like that's the film, even though he's done a lot of films before and after that, just as good. But just like everybody else, like it's like he is officially thanks to people like you, uh, just uh, putting <laughs> out there and showing that it is it is a, a masterwork. Yeah, the <laughs> I, I will. I will be connected to heat for my entire life. It is my favorite film. Yeah. Um, so, but hopefully the good stuff, not the bad stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it's, it's a great campfire that helped me create it. It's all to do with heat. It's yeah. all to do with heat. It all uh, starts there. Well, I mean, you, you, you do, you did, you know, that you, one, he made all presence minutes and just, it's, a you know, just a, um, you got a lot of podcasts out there, man. You got a lot of podcasts that's out there on on regular platforms, and you know, you doing stuff over at Patreon. And yeah. as you as you mentioned earlier, like you know, you 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 got podcasts you've been sitting on for a year. You're trying to get Russell Crowe, and you know, that's a, that's a fun thing you could talk about, just like getting Russell Crowe involved. In us. But just 
just like how you manage it's like how you manage to get all those things up in the air it's almost like almost like you're a, you're a, you're a podcast auteur you're the taylor sheridan <laughs> of movie well, podcasting <laughs> well <clears throat> i i learned a great lesson with one heat minute when i first started it was if you plan the living daylights out of anything and i've had to do a lot of planning as part of like day jobs and get really good at like planning time and schedules and briefing and blah 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 and so when i have an idea for something especially now it's fucking hard when it started when i started like cold emailing people but now that there's a community of people who kind of know what we do and know that we're know what we're about like when, when i'm producing anything and they know that like I'm into the movies and I do lots of research and I'm here to have fun and talk to them and go deep and not, it's not like a gotcha shitty conversation. And we're not necessarily talking about films that are like going to get like big airplay. We're talking about things that we love because we love them. Mm. Um, it's so easy. So when I, what I do sometimes is like, I might have an idea and then I sketch out a show about how much I wanted. And I pitch, like I, I, I will create a pitch deck for myself of like, or a pitch idea and understanding. And then I can go and just fill the holes. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is I can go and do the first wave of recording a show in like a week. Cause if I've done the research and I know what I want to talk about and I know what those guests want to talk about, I can like get a whole show in the can. Like with Zodiac, for example, I did like a hundred interviews for Zodiac, wow. like hours, hundred hours. And there's like 24 episodes in the series, but I did them all I recorded the entire Zodiac series, I think with except with the exception of like a few pickups and a few fucking banger guests that we ended up getting. We got Robert Graysmith and second interviews with James Vanderbilt, the writer, and, um, you know, got a little uh, chat with Jake Gyllenhaal around the release of Ambulance, which went into our final episode. Like that mostly was recorded the entire show. Like, a year before the rest of the series came out. And then I wrote, I don't know, something in the realm of like 24 to 25,000 words of script for that show. And then I just record it. I just plan it out. So th that's kind of like how my, that's what kind of gets my creative juices flowing. It's not just like the genesis of the idea. It's how to tell the story. And I think that that's where I've kind of gotten into in my more recent podcast is like, it's not only about the story or what you want to say or getting something involved. It's like, how do, what's the angle that actually breathes life into it and breathes life through you? Like, how do you, how are you going to be different in telling this story than any other fucking podcast that's ever done it? And so that's kind of how I like it. I like to spin those plates. And also once you get stuck in big projects like that, I kind of can relate to people who like have multiple things going is because sometimes you just need to get out of that headspace. Mm -hmm. You need to get out of the research headspace and come up for air and be like, Oh, I just need some, I need a break. I need to talk about Miami vice. <laughs> I need yeah. to do something different to get out of like in the depths of research about this or that and cutting episodes. And it's really laborious and, um, but it's really rewarding. So yeah, like I, I like spinning plates. I like keeping myself, in a bunch of head spaces and keeping sharp in all of the, I guess, keeping my muscle memory for all the different kinds of podcasts that I like to do sharp. Um, but yeah, I like to have things going on because I also get daunted by gaps. I get daunted by gaps in future calendars of not having something to focus on. And yeah. so I've just had to 
I've been layering in project after project to keep the momentum of the things that I want to do and then, and do it. And now, you know, we're growing enough to, to get other people involved. Like I've got a new audio essay series where I'm getting people to come in and mm. we work together and we build an audio essay around a film or a filmmaker. And, you know, we layer in clips and we talk about storytelling and then we layer in interviews and we decided voice actors are going to do those interviews and all that sort of stuff. So that's, that's kind of how I work. I, I, I like to be busy, creatively busy. Mm-hmm. I like to know that there's a lot of things that we're doing. Yeah. So with the podcaster and uh, commander uh, series mentioned Russell Crowe's that is, that has been a journey. No, Russell, no, no, Russell Crowe. I waited God, such dang. a long time for him. I waited. Oh, son of a bitch. Craig, I've been waiting for a fucking year <laughs> for Russell Crowe. And uh, he, he, I've, yeah, I don't want to go into the 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 nitty gritty because it's <laughs> yeah. boring as batshit. It's boring as batshit. But just, just suffice to say that over multiple pitches, over multiple times at different stages, I felt like I was on the precipice of talking to Russell Crowe, and I actually even got myself an interview with Peter Weir. He's not done a podcast ever. I found his number. I found his number. He's a rec- He's a noted recluse. I found his number by miraculous mistake. I called him. It was him. I asked him to be on the show in written form, and then he didn't respond. I called him back. He said no. And I go, okay, well, look, you know, just want to let you know that I'm like one of your biggest fans. I think you're Australia's greatest living filmmaker. And it's been great talking to you, even though you don't want to do it. And he goes, okay, I'll do the show. And so then I recorded an episode, like a, like, like a, a, a contribution from Peter Weir about that. So I thought, man, Russell Crowe should be fucking easy now, right? Peter Weir, who hasn't spoken to anyone in 10 years until his recent Academy Award. Yeah. Um, just did the show. Wow. And so, yeah, that's the uh, Russell Crowe I was waiting for because I thought, man, he always talks about Master and Commander so fondly. It would just be so fucking cool to have him on a show. Um, I'm an Aussie podcaster. I've been talking about Michael Mann for years, you know. One of his other great performances, The Insider, I agree with you. But no, that it didn't happen. And I'm just yeah. like fucking frustrated because I could have dedicated a few months on putting this show together like a year ago <laughs> if, I, if I knew that I was never going to happen with Russell. Ah, dear. Sorry. Sorry to hear that. And with, nah, it's all good, man. But you got Peter Weir, which is like... Oh, the Peter Weir thing. Which is just like you're already like, dude, like Peter were famously, you know, he won't even do he, he wouldn't do director commentaries and everything. Nope. So just like like getting that man on the on the phone or on, on what on whatever device and talking <laughs> about uh the film. That's like you're it's that is uh well done. That is well done work you, you did there. Thanks, man. <laughs> even though Thanks. I haven't heard even I haven't heard everything, but that, just like knowing no, that you got Peter Weir is great. Yeah, we got weird. So that's exciting. We got John Colley, who's the writer, tells some great stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got Napoleonic historians. I've got Academy Award winning filmmakers. I've got journalists and film critics. Um, that's going to be a banger. That's going to be really fun. I'm really looking forward to getting it out there. Right. The greatest, the, the greatest dad movie of all time, some people have been saying. Yeah. Um, well, my man. I've got to love you and leave you because in Australia oh, yeah. it's it's quarter past seven in the morning. Yeah, and I can I, hear my children running around getting ready for school. So all right. well, it's well, been well, cool chatting. Yes, it, it has been cool chatting. Uh, 
Uh, just like if you want people uh, to know what you're doing, just, you know, any plugging, any stuff you want to let people know about where people can hit you up on the medias. I just like one Blake minute on socials. So if you're on Twitter, one Blake minute, if you're on Insta, one Blake minute. And if you want to go and check out everything I'm doing, one heat minute.com, that's yeah. the best place to find everything that's going on. All right. Well, I thank you. Uh, I, it, it, I'm glad to know you, and I'm and, and I'm glad uh, you you have brought uh, Maria Lewis to me to my attention. <laughs> I'm, She's I'm the best. Yeah, I, I'm still I'm still like I still want to do. <clears throat> I said I don't know if you thought uh, I was being joking. But I still would like to do uh, a, a scripted comedy based on YouTube's friendship it's really one of these days i'm going to get you two together and we will flesh out the pilot or however tv is done these days where <laughs> you just just break down your relationship and what you would like to include in the show and just like that is very I, it fascinates me to no end yeah i just had to say this well i'm glad that we're fascinating to someone no she's my best friend she's the best i love her and uh, yeah, I don't know if um, I, I don't know if I don't know if we want to re release the group chat uh, onto the world. But thank you so much for um, for, for admiring our friendship. Uh, but yeah, no, she's she's the best. Uh, well, yeah, you, you two are the best, and it's, uh, it's fun, uh, you know, hearing from you and just talk and just talk. I hope I hope this was this like this this surprisingly got intense. I don't know, just did it feel that way no. or just that? No, oh, never. Okay. I'm no, sorry. never. No, you you don't have to be sorry. Stop. This is what I would say to you. Don't fucking say sorry. You're being you. I'm here. I know you. I know what I'm I'm here for. This is not a surprise. Yeah. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to read you on Crooked Marquee. I'm happy to see the stuff that you're doing in Houston. I'm very grateful and gracious for an invite on a podcast where I get to just shoot the shit about lots of different stuff. So this is fun. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad you had a good time with it. So, uh, well, good luck with all your stuff and have fun doing morning shit in Australia. <laughs> I will, man. Thanks. Right, Talk soon. All right. Bye.